Next week, I turn 42 years old. It's about a week from this Friday. February the 4th, little Maddie becomes 42-year-old Matt. 42-year-old Matt has learned some things, and he has failed to learn others. And uh, this is the time I really like to look back on lessons. Last year, you may remember, I talked about, you know, summarizing my 40th year in, in Vonnegut quotes. And so this year, I'm, I'm kind of looking, I wanted to really distill down the three big lessons that I've learned as a writer and a human being and a whatever in, in year 41 going into 42. Um, and, and I, maybe I could have done this. No, I couldn't have done this next week. I'm actually taking a vacation. I, you won't hear from me next week. So this is the last we're going to spend together while I'm 41. So enjoy it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I wanted to talk about it because there's so many life lessons that we get. We don't really distill them. And, and sometimes we forget that the things you've learned and picked up along the way could actually help other people. So I don't know if any of these will help you or not. They're certainly uh, specific kind of to writers and creatives, but I don't think that makes them exclusive to writers and creatives. I think a lot of the things I talk about move beyond that, and this certainly could as well. So I want to talk about, you know, the stuff. I want to I wanna sit down and rap with you, bro. I don't know. I've never been good at that crap. Uh, no, I do. I want to talk about three lessons. So these are the three big lessons I, I picked up in, in 41 in that year, and I'm carrying into 42. And hopefully 42 will be, you know, a good year. 41 hasn't been bad. So let's get started. Three lessons from my 41st year on this planet. Lesson number one. Remember... Critters 3. I can feel the eye-roll and confused look from some of you. So, for those of you that don't remember, the Critters film franchise is a darling of 80s horror and was one of many, many, many brutal cash grabs to take advantage of that sweet, sweet, successful Gremlins money. You had critters, you had munchies, you had ghoulies. I know, I'm a horror hound, so if you guys don't realize that about me, that I love horror movies, like, maybe that surprises you. It's not a brilliant franchise. It's effectively a bunch of vicious little creatures that come out of an alien prison ship going over Earth and end up in small-town America and slowly, like, make their way to the city and stuff. Like, Critters is just a franchise. But Critters 3 is remarkable for a reason, and provides one of the best lessons I think you can take in the world, right? I know, it's always me in three movies, right? Favorite Star Wars movie? The third one, Return of the Jedi. Life movie? Rocky Three, right? What's the lesson I picked up in my 41st year? Critters Three. It's it's not, I, I don't know, it's operating on some subconscious level with me. But the reason Critters Three is phenomenal is because Critters Three is the feature film debut of one Mr. Leonardo DiCaprio, multiple Oscar award-winning actor. Right? Yeah, you heard that right. DiCaprio's feature film debut is Critters 3. Okay, Matt, so what's the lesson we're to take from that? 
here's the thing. In a, in a hyper-productivity, hyper-success, super-hero-worshipping culture, right, where we, we think about all of this shit and we always want you to be awesome and we want, you know, I founded my first company at 18 and then sold it for $200 million because, you know, it was lunchtime. Uh, then I went out and I had an afternoon snack while I founded my second company. And then by breakfast the next morning, I had founded a third that revolutionized the way we deliver CRM software to alpacas. Right? Like, that's that's what we hear. That's the narrative that's constantly pumped. We are all successful. My first novel was amazing. My debut novel is incredible. Because we've heard about people whose debut novels were great, Right? This is kind of the Stephen King myth, like Carrie is his first published novel, it is his fourth novel written, right? Register that for a minute. His big financial success, his first debut novel, Carrie, is actually the fourth one he wrote. Think about that for a minute. Vonnegut wrote three books before he wrote Slaughterhouse-Five, which was the one that really catapulted him, Right? That's that's the thing. You you hear these narratives of well, Stephen King's first book was amazing and it was incredible. Yeah, well, Leonardo DiCaprio's first film was not amazing, and I say that as a guy who has deep, fond, and long-standing video store memories of the Critters franchise. Oh, I do. I remember the poster. I can see the poster in my head right now, on the wall of movie gallery in Columbia, Missouri. I can see it. Right, I know me some critters, and I remember who Leonardo DiCaprio played in that movie, and it was not a little part. But that's the thing, right? Like, you you live in this world where we're told your first endeavor has to be a great big success, and it fucking doesn't. Right? Do I like Critters Three? Sure. Is it Oscar worthy? No. Is it brilliant? no more than iceberg lettuce is spicy, right? It's a fun movie. I enjoy it. But that's that's about the end-all, be-all of it, right? That's it. That's that's the thing. You don't... It, it, he just went out and he made a movie. He, he got a thing done. He did a thing, right? Stephen King wrote multiple novels. The fourth one was the big first published debut amazing novel. Great. Vonnegut wrote and published multiple novels until Slaughterhouse-Five, which would be the big novel in his career, that, that kind of launched him to stardom, came out. Your first thing doesn't have to be a home run. Hell, you don't even have to get on base with it. You just have to do it. And maybe that's hard for us to admit. Because again, we live in that culture. We live in that culture where we're told, oh, okay, I got I to gotta go win because everybody's winning. They're not winning. The guys that are telling you how much they're winning and how much money they're making on Medium and how awesome their book sales are doing and everything else are telling you that because they're categorically full of shit, boys and girls. They're trying to impress you. And if you need to brag to me, if you as a writer feel the need to write a blog to tell me how much money you made on a writing platform or from your debut novel and I'm your target demographic, then I know you are lying or you have the world's greatest self-esteem issue because you feel like you have to justify that shit to me. 
So when you're getting out there and you're working on that first project or you're taking that first step or you're going into a new career or you're starting a new company or whatever it is you're doing, that thing that you're doing, that first step, and you're worried and nervous it's going to suck, remember Critters 3. It's my lesson. Remember Critters 3. They don't have to be home runs. Trust me, you'll hit your stride. Now in line with lesson number one, remember Critters 3, let's go to lesson number two. Whatever you do, someone will like it. There you go. Whatever you do, someone will like it. Say it with me. Whatever I do, someone will like it. That's actually incredibly true. We spend a lot, like I spend a lot of time in the online writing community. There's a lot of people pulling their hair out and setting themselves on fire, trying to figure out how to write the very best thing they can write, whatever that may be. They have to find the thing that they can write that will be the very best thing they can ever possibly write. And how the hell do they do that? That's, that's the deal, right? They're worried about that. They're worried about, you know, I, I have to, people have to like it. Well, you can't predict what people are going to like and not like. You like you really can't. You know? At best you can look at previous trends and guess. You can go, "Oh, they liked Game of Thrones, maybe they'll like more stuff like Game of Thrones." Maybe. You don't know why they liked Game of Thrones though. You know, unless you want to do some really in-depth, really ridiculous market research, in which case why the hell are you bothering being a writer? Just go be a marketer. That's there's a whole profession for that that pays a whole lot better than your average writing job. That's, that's the thing. But I can tell you this. I can make one prediction. No matter what the hell it is you make, someone's going to like it. Look, I have a fiancé, Marianne, and Marianne is quite possibly my greatest cheerleader of all time. If I wrote a story that categorically sucked, Marianne would tell me it's okay. She'd say she liked it. She'd smile and, and, and make sure that I didn't shoot myself in the fucking face. She would. 100%. Marianne is, is the moral support I need a lot of the time. Right? We all have that person. Oh, but Matt, I want valid feedback. I, I do too. But I also can use a small amount of ego stroking from time to time, right? We all can. No, I only want honest feedback. Really? Guys, I went through a creative writing program where I sat there and got my ass kicked over poems and plays that I had written, and it sucked. It was good. There's a lot I learned from it. But I promise you, go through that shit and then tell me how much you want that honest feedback. Because I've given honest feedback to some people who are like, I want really honest feedback. I'm like, how honest? They're like, really brutal. And I'm like, well, you know, I like this. Like, Matt, don't sugarcoat it. Give it to me straight. Like, okay, well, this sucked, and that sucked, and this was terrible, and I don't know what the hell this is about. No, 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 I didn't want that, right? Because you don't want that. We all need someone to like what we do. And here's the irony. There is someone out there who will like what you do. If you write a scary story about a carnivorous wedge of Swiss cheese that exits the fridge and eats a family in the middle of the night, there is somebody out there who will like it. See Lesson 1, Critters 3. Right? <laughs> Remember Critters 3, because someone will like what you do. Right? I like Critters 3. 
not saying it's brilliant, but I enjoy it. I have friends who enjoyed it. Right? Someone will like your carnivorous cheese wedge story. It will happen. Right? Someone will like that story. They'll go, ooh, carnivorous cheese wedge. It's amazing. Riveting. Or they'll think it's fucking funny. And there are worse things in the world than your deeply dire horror story getting a laugh from someone. Maybe that's the secret. Maybe the secret form is that that scary, scary, scary story that you wrote is funny and it brightens someone's day. B-O-O-H-O-O, everybody. If you made someone laugh, enjoy that shit because it's harder than you'd think. Someone's going to like the stuff you do. Someone's going to like your business. Someone's going to like your product. Someone's going to like your writing or your painting or your music or whatever. Someone's going to like it. Even if that's your mom or your cousin or your sister or your significant other who shares a bed with you and might be a little bit biased because, well, they have to live with your crazy ass. Whatever you do, someone will like it. It's lesson two. So let's do a quick recap. I like to recap because it keeps these fresh in your mind. Lesson one, remember Critters 3. Lesson two, whatever you do, Someone will like it. And for lesson number three, in case you were wondering, we are going to go back to the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Kurt Vonnegut. In a quote from one of my absolute favorite Vonnegut books ever, Mother Night, when he said this, Jim, that I love, it's a great piece of advice. It's a lesson I learned heavily this year. We are what we pretend to be, so we must be careful about what we pretend to be. Let's say that again, because Vonnegut had a great way of saying things. We are what we pretend to be, so we must be careful about what we pretend to be. Wow. So lesson three, be careful what you pretend to be. We talk about this society of hyper-success and hyper-productivity and people that are quick to do the brag of their lifestyle because they only work two hours a day or, you know, they're, they're grind because they work 90 hours a day or, or whatever it is, right? Their humility, like, gave all the money in my wallet to this dude on the street. Thumbs up. I'm awesome. Enlightenment. Hashtag Buddha. Right? Like, we do that. But we are, we slowly become what we pretend to be. Right? I'm going to tell you a little story. Um, a little while back, I worked for somebody. Uh, I kind of got uh, talked into a job, really. I got talked into a job that wasn't particularly great. This was years ago. Uh, I got talked into a job coming off working on a blog, working for someone that I will say was less than upfront about the situation. And uh, I, I kind of started pretending for the sake of that job and to see where it was going uh, I had to go to these little events and pretend to be a motivational coach because that was how I was being billed. And because I can say things that'll motivate people, I guess some people find stuff I say motivating. Um, but I found myself starting to pretend to be in that role. And then later I was at a company where I wasn't incredibly happy and I, you know, was pretending to be happy and, and that was, you know, counter to the reality of the situation, but I was pretending right? I don't talk about it a ton. I mean, I do more now, but I'm autistic, 
right? Like I'm on the autism spectrum and a large part of my life I've engaged in highly effective masking behaviors um, because I was different and because I didn't want to be seen as different or weird or, or crazy or out there reject or whatever, right? I was called a freak. There's a lot of shit, man. Kids are fucking cruel. And since I didn't want to be that way, I pretended to not be that way. But in the process of pretending to be what I wasn't, in the process of denying the way that I saw the world or the way that the world impacted me or things like that, I just grew more distant from the world. And that led to a really serious battle with depression that, that kind of climaxed in some suicidal ideation and, and potential acts on my part. Not cool. Right? We gotta be careful what we pretend to be. We gotta be careful when we pretend to be the great successful novelist if we're just working on the novel because we want the other novelist to think we're awesome. Who gives a shit what the other novelists think? I'm gonna tell you right now, man, like and, and maybe some of you aspiring novelists listen to me, so don't get too butt hurt by this statement. But I don't care what most of you think about my novel progress. To be perfectly honest, like there are writers I know who hear this, who are good friends of mine, who know that as far as I'm concerned, their opinion on the progress of my novel is fucking meaningless. It is. I don't need to pretend to be doing better than I'm doing. I don't need to pretend to be more successful than I am. I don't need to pretend to be something that I'm not or pretend to be ignorant of something. I can. I can choose to pretend. But the more I pretend, the more I'm going to become the thing I'm pretending to be. And then you have to own that up later. In the case of my masking behaviors and my depression, I was pretending to not be the way that I really was. I was pretending to be neurotypical. And by pretending to be neurotypical, I was putting myself in bad situations. And the reality is I was not neurotypical. Right? And then when I went into my depression, I was pretending to not be depressed. So when that suicidal ideation stuff really kicked up, people didn't know. Because I was pretending. I was being, I, I was becoming, at least in someone's eyes, the thing that I was pretending to be. And I couldn't get help, and no one knew what I needed, and I was fucking miserable. I was running around trying to sell financial planning or motivational coaching in a fucking suit and tie trying to pretend this shit that I didn't really want to be doing. I just wanted to be working on my novel and finding some job that I could do that I could be happy while I worked on writing because I don't really give a shit about so many jobs, right? That's why I love working in the branding agency that I work in now and doing my consulting because I get to take jobs that I like and do that work for the time being and also work on my stuff. So it's a good equilibrium. It's a good balance. But that's a reality. And it comes from not pretending to be something I'm not. I'm not trying to be anybody's VP of marketing. Right? I don't need to be anybody's chief marketing officer. I'm not trying to pretend to be a small business entrepreneur out there grinding out my own thing. Like These are things I'm not pretending to be. Because the more I pretend to be them, the more I will become them. And the more I become them, the less I spend doing the things I actually want to do. There's the real trick, right? There is someone you want to be. There is something you want to pursue. When you pretend to be something other than that, the longer you do it, the more you become that other thing. And at some point, you either subsume, like that, that consumes your entire dream and just it goes away and gets brought into that thing and the lie becomes reality. 
The game of pretend becomes the objective reality of your existence. Or, of all things, you have a little break like I do. I mean, I have them more, than, more often than not. But this last break even includes me dealing with pretending to be something that I am not. Look, I love writers, man, and, and, and helping writers lift up is really important to me. But I help them lift up by having really frank and honest conversations about how that happens, not by trying to like offer my take on tips or my monthly this or a course or any of that shit. That's not how I do it. I do it by saying, yeah, this sucks, but hey, you came out with blood on your gloves and that's awesome. That's, that's how I do it. That's the message. That's what I do now. Back to basics. Back to what I want to be doing. If I'm going to pretend to be something, I'm going to pretend to be the thing that I want to actually be. So that I will become the person that I want to be. The writer that I want to be. So, there you go. Lesson three. Be careful, you know. Be careful what you pretend to be. Those are the big lessons from 41. Three of them going into 42. And look, I think that's a pretty successful 41, if you ask me. Pretty successful 41 to walk away with three big lessons like that. Pretty happy about it, actually. So, I want you to sit down and think about the things you learned, maybe, or don't. Do whatever. Maybe just ponder these. Three simple lessons from my 41st year. Let's go over them one more time, because I'm getting ready to shut this thing down and start looking forward to vacation, guys. So let's start number one. Remember Critters 3. They don't all have to be home runs. Just do the thing. Lesson number two. No matter what you make, someone will like it. And let that be enough. Lesson three. As the wise man Kurt Vonnegut said, we are what we pretend to be, so we must be careful about what we pretend to be. Well, it's been fun spending another year around the sun with you. Another rotation. It's good. I like it. So, you know, I'm excited to see where this goes. Anyway, uh, I'm going to go enjoy a little little time to myself, a time away from creating things, a time to recoup and celebrate. Um, I'm not going far. I'm not doing anything super crazy. But I am taking some time, to, some time off. So uh, those are my three lessons from 41. Until next time, when I'm 42 years old and so much wiser, I'm Matt. Just a working writer, and this has been my confession. I'll talk to you all next time.